0: Hello, Internet. This is Chase, Redshirt King, Wassenaar. You're probably wondering, hey, where are those Guess the Lines episodes I love so much? Well, we don't have them this week. Unfortunately, personal life took over. There were some factors outside of our control that meant that we could not record an episode the way that we would like. But as all of you listeners know, I subscribe to the mantra that we've got to give the people what they want. And there was simply too much going on in the world right now of League of Legends to not go into at least a little bit of what happened over the last week. So this is going to be a solo pod, as you can already tell. There's no intro music. There's no fancy graphics. There's not going to be any video. This is the best that I can do at this point in time. But hopefully this is better than nothing. Hopefully you guys like it. And we'll see how you guys feel about it in the future. But let's start with something that I, I, I firmly believe is the most interesting and fascinating of the five things I think we know after week seven. And that is that Team Liquid has lost their goddamn mind. I I think we're there. I I think this is the point in the movie where if we were cutting to Steve in in the room... You know, like, hey, are you okay? He'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Of course I'm fine. I've got great ideas. And it's so, like, like way wired on, like, caffeine or whatever else. Like, clearly hasn't slept. Like, this is the kind of, you know, throw everything at the wall and pray that something sticks ideology that you only see from people that are in way over their heads. I mean, this is a guy that just clearly has looked at what's around him And said, you know what? We don't know what's going to work. We have no idea what's going to lead us to great players. Because every time we've done what we think will lead us to great players, it hasn't worked out. So clearly, what we need to do is throw a whole bunch of mud at the wall and see what sticks. And if you're going to throw mud at the wall, I I thought their first move was fine. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey, welcome to North America. Don't know what you're doing here. In all reality, uh, Mickey, for those of you who don't know, was a mid laner for the Afrika Freaks way back in the day. Um, This was the guy who would have games where he could somehow 1v1 faker. And then they would have games where you would wonder why Mickey was in the LCK in the first place. Mickey is the quintessential... Uh, on-again, off-again mid-laner. And there's a reason that the Rocks Tigers moved away from him this year. Uh, he was in the spring split, didn't do very well. And so, of course, what happens to Koreans who can't find their way in the LCK? Well, North America's ready and waiting. Welcome, Mickey. Perfect to go along with that Disney deal that Liquid announced last week. So so do I hate this move? No. In a vacuum, No. But then you combine it with literal Insanity. And I mean literally, they got Insanity. Insanity is a solo queue player from North America. Uh, He's got games on both mid lane and AD carry. So I'm assuming that they're looking at him in one of those two spots. They have so many mid laners, I would have to imagine it's an AD carry. You would have to think just on sheer... Well, I, I was going to say logic, but I think we've already established that that's maybe not the best basis here. But ju- just on sheer power of will, just looking at the numbers, you don't need a third mid laner. But you already have three in Slushy, Golden Glue, and Mickey, so you certainly don't need a fourth. So I guess congratulations, Insanity, on being the third eighty carry on a team with Piglet and Youngbin fighting for position with you. I don't know why they made that move, to be honest. It feels like the kind of move you make to get ready for your academy team, because you just don't want them to be available after franchising happens. Which is fine, but then, you know, poor Youngbin, right? Like, Youngbin's been sitting here, waiting for a spot, got bumped up a little too early, got destroyed, and unfairly... Uh, demonized for for some of it, I think. He was a bad player, wasn't LCS ready, but he wasn't the worst player we've ever seen. But, you know, when, when Piglet was the guy that he's replacing, there's a certain expectation, there's a certain hope that he can compete at least on some level, and that just wasn't really happening. Uh, of course, I, I would argue that Piglet wasn't doing all that much better that season, but hey, that's for the historians to argue about later on down the line. For now, I just don't know what Insanity's role on this team is or why I should care. More important, I think, is the why I should care. And the answer that we we're going to get from Steve Aronset and the Team Liquid crowd and any of you uh, you Team Liquid fans that are still listening and have still decided to be a fan of, of this team, first of all, shout out to you. Your dedication is impressive. And I greatly appreciate it. But there's something that I, I think we have all been there when we see someone, a good friend, come out of a bad relationship. And when we try to support them, maybe they're not making the best decisions, you know, but they're trying. They're trying to move on, trying to put themselves together, figure stuff out. You know, you get it. But when you see them bring that ex home, that's where you draw the line. This is when you say, no, she was bad for you, or he was bad for you, and this is not how any of this is going to work. And someone should have told Steve Aaronset that before he gave Dardock a contract for the remainder of this split. I i mean, there are so many things wrong with this. Let's start with a quote from someone who is so much harsher to, to Team Liquid than I will never ever be. Uh, he, this guy said, quote, Liquid is garbage and I don't have respect for them as an organization, players, or team. Now, who was so heinous to say that? Oh, that was dardok That's your new jungler, Team Liquid fans. That is, in many ways, one of the five biggest faces of Team Liquid now to the public. This is, This is your guy. This is who you're putting out there as a starting-caliber jungler who you feel proud to say he represents Team Liquid. Let's just leave all talent on the line. Let's leave all all of the other issues, all of Breaking Point, let's put all of that to the side for a second. How much little self-respect do you have to have to sign a player who said that he does not respect you, your players, your team, any of it, publicly, on July first, as in less than a month ago, at the time of this recording, at the time of his signing. I, I I don't know, man. Like I I feel like we're we're negative about Liquid quite a bit on the podcast. Me just because I appreciate good roster management, which this is clearly not. Um I, I think everyone has kind of reacted to this insanity with the same like, this is a team that clearly doesn't know what they're trying to be, and they aren't. They have no idea, by the way. Mickey signed through 2018. Uh, we know that for a fact. Some of the other contracts we will have to see how those shake out. But I can't imagine that this is some great long-term plan that they're 100% confident in, just given how slapdash all of this seems to be. And like, what do you get from this? Like, you're still going to franchising. You're still paying for that spot. You know you're gonna get it. So, what are you getting from this? You're you're purposely signing a player who actively has trashed you guys. What does that say about you? In the face you're putting out there. What does that say... To your fans that would rally would rally behind you at that moment and be like, How could you disrespect our team? You know, we have you know, we're we're better off without you. Well, no, now he's back. Apparently we're not better off without him. Um now, to be clear, that's just looking at it from Team Liquid side. If you look at it from a pure talent acquisition, it also doesn't make any sense. Which is the best part of this move. You know, you look at Dardok you know, jokingly tweeting on July 14th, I do not have an attitude problem. We do not have internal issues. Omar is in because he deserves time in the LCS. Nothing less, nothing more. That was Dardoch on July 14th, fewer than two weeks after he would be signed. And CLG would make the statement that, quote, we knew that if we could help Dardoch learn to make those sacrifices, we would have the roster needed to become LCS champions once again, Unfortunately, Dardok was unwilling to adhere to the set of standards expected of every member of the team. So this is where I look at CLG and say, you know what? I get it. I get it. I understand that this is a slight step back. And I say slight because Dardok was not having a great season. You look at the numbers, he was very average at best for a lot of this. So I get leaving him behind In that regard, I get get kind of moving on with Omar God, but especially if he's being an attitude problem, sure, awesome, get rid of that guy. CLG thrives on team chemistry and having everyone buy in to the Zik system. If he's not buying in, get out. Absolutely, shout out to you, CLG. You have respect in yourself as an organization and standards that you hold your talent to. So this is Team Liquid, again, seeing that, hearing that, knowing that he is that guy, because I don't know if Team Liquid knows this, but there was this great documentary, it was called Breaking Point. It was literally about themselves, and it was literally a documentary breaking down all of the many ways in which their 2016 summer split fell apart. And one of the biggest reasons for that was dardok was the guy that they're bringing back in. I... I, I don't understand. I... I'm not sure I even want to understand. At some point, you just decide it's better to just move on and just accept that this is a team that exists. This is a team that has way too much money and not nearly enough know-how on how to use it. And so this is where we are. I I mean, <laughs> shout out to you, Steve. You're, you're getting all of the headlines you would ever want. And I hope it was worth it for you. We're going to move on to point two of this five things I think after week seven. Rocket, the Kingslayers. Oh, yeah. You knew I was going to bring this up. You knew I was going to talk about it as soon as you saw that this was a chase cast. You're like, oh, man, can't wait for him to rant about how awesome Rocket is. You know what? I also can't wait to rant about how good Rocket is. I am all in on the Rocket hype train. If this series was about a Rocket hype train. Unfortunately, it was not actually a Rocket hype train. It was Rocket executing a very simple strategy, a very straightforward strategy, and executing well enough to take down a team that couldn't execute a very basic strategy. And it's very weird to be saying that about the unicorns of love. But that's where we are right now. In Game 3, the EU caster said something that should have absolutely infuriated Unicorns of Love fans. And I'm sure it did, because I've watched games with some of you UL fans, and I know how passionate you are. And the caster said, oh, you know, Unicorns of Love, they don't care about macro. It was an actual thing that people said about you on a broadcast. And if you're a Unicorns of Love fan, you want to look at them and say, you know what, man? We have been disrespected. We were finalists last split. How dare you say that we don't care about macro? But then you watch the games, and it's kind of hard to believe that they care about macro. It, It just, right now, there are so many of the basics that are just missing from this team. We are missing the consistency in lane that we had from a guy like Exile last split. Now that's been replaced with one of the worst laners in the league, and someone who is an active liability in most cases. We have replaced the consistency and just sheer willpower that a guy like Visichachi, who was the MVP last split, might I mention, might I remind everybody listening to this. And yet now he's the guy that a team like hat said, you know what? Fuck it. We're camping Visit Chachi. We're camping the hell out of you. And that's our entire plan. We are going to gank your lane and then snowball off the mid lane because we know we're winning the mid lane. And we believe that means we're going to win team fights too. Can you stop us? Can you stop us from snowballing against Chachi super hard? And the answer was no. Fascinating enough. Xerxie, I felt, has taken a slight step back in protecting his solo laners. I, I think that right now he's having to do double duty because both of them are stepping back quite a bit. So I, I'm not saying that he's in an unbelievable situation or one in which you know he has a very easy task in front of him and he's just slipping on the job. I don't think that's the case. But I do think that we are seeing other junglers alleviate pressure... On one part of the map by being more active in another part of the map if you're Broxa and you're ganking top lane this buys time for caps to roam bot because they don't have pressure on that side of the map because they're having to deal with the pressure you sent on one side of the map and whichever part they neglect that's the part that's going to get you a play it's it's this multifaceted idea of fully controlling the map which is usually the Unicorns of Love's thing. That's what they do, right? They control the waves, they push down and get towers off of every little advantage that they get. That's the Unicorn way. But their vision has been so bad this split. I mean, appallingly bad. And not just in sheer words placed, because they've never been all that great at words placed, but at least those words were placed in good spots beforehand. I feel like so much of the Unicorns' warding right now is reactive. Well, a play just happened here, so let's put something here so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, but that thing happened. Now there's going to be a next play. What's the next play that they're going to make, Unicorns? Rather than hyper-focusing on how to fix the play that you've already lost, what's your next win condition? And, as my mom would say, you know, I'd say, Hey, Mom, what do Unicorns do? They fight! Yeah, they do fight. Mom, if you're listening to this, and everyone else who is listening to this, they fight. And when that happens, I mean, you can see some beautiful games. Game 1 against Fnatic was the perfect Unicorns of One Men. Was it messy? Yes. It Could have been a lot cleaner. Uh, I felt Xerxe was just a little bit still kind of getting used to the Maokai and, and what that means as far as his role in the team. I thought that Chachi, you know, struggled a little bit early. Exile still makes me very nervous. But they came through and it mattered. And they got those couple big fights and they were able to punish Reckless the one or two times he was out of position. And they took that game one. And that is the unicorns of love that I know that they can be in every game. That was them clearly understanding what their win condition was, what they needed to be doing, what plays they needed to set up and executing that. And you know what it wasn't? It wasn't a crappy Baron play that they were trying to rush that was super greedy like the one that we saw against Rocket where it just com- completely backfired against him in Game 3. You, you can't make those kinds of mistakes. It wasn't necessary. It was greed. And greed is something that I, I think has always characterized the Unicorns of Love to some extent, but... I've praised them in the past for their ability to properly analyze value. It's okay to take two deaths here if we get two kills and a tower on the other side of the map. If we're getting pressure off of everything and we get more value off of our kills and our wins than the enemy team does, well, then we're going to consistently be ahead. I give them credit for that because I think Sheepy is very intelligent. I think that Hillisang and Chachi are very intelligent in terms of how they understand the game. I have a lot of faith in this team and that's why I get so infuriated by this team because they should be better than this and and there aren't excuses there's nothing that's changed fundamentally other than just an, an impatience a desire to get to that team fight phase so badly that they are forgetting the fundamentals that allow them to be in a advantageous spot when those fights roll around. I know that you're good at the mid to late game, Unicorns of Love. I know that you can team fight with the best in the league no matter how far down in gold you are. You are capable of it. And no one should deny that. But it doesn't have to be this hard. You don't have to dig yourself into that hole every day. Every time that you play against teams like this. And the amazing thing is, because you lost a raw cat, the Unicorns of Love are not in first in Group B. They are in second right now, because H2K, the Unicorns of Love, and Splice are all tied at 6-3, and three, heading back to group play. And this is when we would usually say, well... Time for the Unicorns to do Unicorns things and take over and really, you know, be too creative for H2K to deal with and too aggressive for Splice to deal with. And for once, I'm not sure. I shouldn't say for once because the Unicorns of Love fans will say, oh, you never believe in us. I believe in you guys. You should be the second, maybe third best team in the league On your worst day. On your worst day, you should be very much in the title hunt. And on your best day, you could be the best team in Europe. But you've got to be on your best day multiple days in a row, multiple weeks in a row, let alone just multiple series in a row, multiple individual matches in a row. And I'm just not seeing it right now, and, and, and that requires a look back on the fundamentals that allowed you guys to be as strong as you were uh, before this. But you know what, man? Hail to the Kingslayers! Rock at at three and six, almost certainly now out of relegation territory, and only two games back behind Misfits for that playoff spot. Now I'm not saying that Rock are going to win the rest of their games this season like they did last season when they started. Oh, and se- uh, seven, and ended up with six straight wins. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying, Rocket had a strategy and they executed it. And when Pride Stalker plays champions, which he actually ganks, and that is a limited pool of them, but when he gets them, things get fun. I'm just saying, it was fun last week. Rocket's not a good team. The tank meta is going to be a problem for us quite badly. But. It was a fun week, and I am glad to be the Kingslayers, even if it came at the expense of another team that I really enjoy watching. We're going to move on to point three here on my five things, I think, and that's going to be a a funeral, a rest in pepperonis, if you will, to Phoenix 1, a team that is now firmly stuck in the ashes, a team that we now know is not going to the playoffs. They cannot win enough series to make it at this point. Uh, they are, in fact, right now, the worst team in the league because, amazingly, all of that stuff I said about Team Liquid. And Phoenix 1 still got 2 0 by Team Liquid. Team Liquid, side note, I really should have brought this up in the first place, but, like I said, this is a rambling thing that I'm really going off the cuff for you guys. No edits, no anything. Um... I think it's so much worse that Team Liquid's insanity came after what is undeniably the best week that they've had this whole split. They had two s- strong series this week, genuinely good wins, in which the team looked like a cohesive whole. And now you're just going to destroy the confidence of a guy like Inori. You're going to put your mid lane jungle and potentially AD carry spot in chaos. It's a mess. And Phoenix won. A team that went 4-2 and two at Rift Rivals lost to that mess. So how do we get here? How are we at the point now where a team that did so well at Rift Rivals has just completely fallen off? Well, some of that I, I think you'd have to immediately point to Zig. Uh, Zig is a guy that we were very hopeful would be a solid North American top laner. Not necessarily a great... North American top laner, because there aren't great North American top laners. There are great North American top lane imports, but there are very few great native talents from North America at this point in in the LCS. But Zig right now, to put some numbers on it, uh, 2.2 KDA, only a 59.4% kill participation. Despite winning Lane on average, 1.9 CS differential at 10 minutes. Mostly because he gets a lot of gank help from Mike, rookie of the split, Mike Young, Young, Young? I maybe want one more Young than I needed to. But either way, Mike Young has been desperately trying to make Zig relevant, and it just isn't happening. It's just not in him. And that's... Really unfortunate because they need his help right now quite badly. They need someone to alleviate pressure off of the bot half of the map because teams right now are able to laser focus in on what is so clearly the most dangerous part of this team, and that would be Arrow and Expecial. I thought Expecial's played very well. Uh, the numbers aren't necessarily going to indicate that because A, he's only played a select amount of games, and B, He's been put in a lot of really crappy situations. But, I thought he's played... Well, I I, I don't think that he's the problem. And I do think that Arrow is still an incredibly competent AD carry. The MVP of last split, for a good reason. Um, I, I don't think this is a, oh, how the mighty have fallen problem. I think this is a, okay. Well, Phoenix won. If I throw all of my energy, my time, my resources, everything else, into just stopping you and stopping Arrow, specifically. Just kill that bot lane over and over, or at least prevent them from getting any kills of their own. What's your next plan? And Phoenix 1 thought the plan was going to be, well, then Ryu will take over. Ryu has been incredibly uncomfortable in this meta. And it hasn't gotten better. In fact, I almost feel like it's getting worse. I feel like Ryu is checking out a bit mentally. You're seeing him make very sloppy mistakes in lane, just kind of checking out on certain fundamentals when it comes to roaming and, and in getting the pressure that you would expect him to have on, on champions like Talia, for instance. I, I think he's been just, just underwhelming as a whole. And so if your mid lane is struggling and your top lane is actively hurting you, then all you're left with is your jungler. And Mike Young, amazingly enough, his numbers are still brilliant. Mike Young has had a great season. Mike Young is going to earn the Rookie of the Split Award. It's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, we just didn't have a lot of of great players. No, no, no. Mike Young has had a great season. He's a great player. He's consistent week in, week out. He's the best player on this team. And I don't... Well, I... He's the best player on this team that's a North American talent. You want to go him versus Arrow, you can go into, like, age of career and, you know, taking the import slot into account versus not taking it into account. It's a huge argument, but it's an argument. And that's probably the most impressive thing we can say about Mike Young right now. I really think this team should be better than they are just because these individual pieces shouldn't be so frustrating to fit together. It should be as simple as Arrow and X-Special do Arrow and X special things. And now we have this this team that can actually, you know, operate and, and keep themselves in a in a decent spot. And it's just not happening. I am just very frustrated, I guess, ultimately, with where this leaves this team. I, I don't really know what the answer is at the end of the day, other than just try not to get relegated so it's not as expensive to buy back in. I think Phoenix 1 is going to buy back in. I think they have enough clout with the guys that be when it comes to Riot that they're going to get their their status approved and we're going to be seeing them back in the LCS. And if that's the case, well, Mike Young's a great building block. And if you could keep Arrow and... You know, maybe a special depending on who's available, but at least Arrowdown, like that's a great two person core that could be on a great team. But you've also got to figure out just what is it about your communication that is keeping you one step behind? Because even when you are playing the way that you would want, and I think their Cloud Nine series was a great example of just how they can look both amazing and incompetent in just the same series. Great Game 2 victory. I don't know what was happening in Games 1 and 3 at all. How how do you stop that mental snowball? How do you stop so that when you know Ryu's died once or twice, Ziggs died once or twice, it doesn't just have the entire team outside of Mike Young say, fuck it, we're doomed anyway, this is over. Because that's not a talent problem, that's an attitude problem, and that's ultimately a coaching problem so i have a lot of concerns let's say about where this team leaves moving forward i i, I think it's a fascinating thing to watch and by the way europe this is who we lost to four times four times in rift rivals we sent our best teams this they're 10th place right now four times I, I'm I'm not over it, is what I'm trying to tell you right now. I'm just not over it. But we're going to move on, anyway, to number four on my five things I think we know after week seven. And that's, you know, H2 what? H2 what happened? No, seriously, H2 what? That's where we are with H2K. Uh, this was their chance. This was their big moment in the sun, right? We saw... Unicorns of Love, right before they hit the stage, take themselves out of the equation by taking by losing to Rocket. Suddenly the door is wide open. And they're like, Okay, H2K, all you need to do is beat up on a G2 team that has struggled this season, that has not really been able to put it together when Trick is not on, like a very limited group of champions. And to H2G's credit, I thought they recognized that very well with their pick-and-man phase. They targeted that set to hard. Uh, they also targeted the Elise whenever they were on blue side. And I you know, I, I think they had Zach in Game 1 and then Cho'Gath in Game 3. I, I don't think either one of those is, is bad by any means. Um, just clearly, we're targeting Trick. We're not letting Trick beat us. But then they just let themselves get beat anyway. And it was really frustrating to watch. Uh, It it really felt like a team that didn't know what to do at multiple parts of the game. It reminded me a lot, actually, of Splice in the spring split, last split, and and for the first few weeks of of this summer split, where they were just super defensive and were like, okay, as soon as you screw up, we're going to get you just letting you know we've got our eye on you we're gonna get you if you screw up don't screw up now or we're gonna get you and finally teams would either screw up and spice would be like haha you fell into my cunning trap bet you didn't see that coming or more often than not when you consider the playoffs oh i i guess you didn't make a big enough mistake for us to actually punish you oops and then they just lose and that was game one in a nutshell for me with H2K. They just sat back and waited. And waited for a play that never came. Waited for an Oduwamne ult on that Nara that just never happened. Waited for the perfect disengage from che that Or the perfect Yankos barrel, And it just never happened. And you could say, like, well, are those the best champions? For these guys, first of all, Che and and Oduamne have had great games on that champion. But Yankos, I understand. Like, maybe Yankos shouldn't have played Gragas. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But he also played Sejuani in Game 3 and looked even worse in terms of engaging and providing the kind of support that you would want in that game. So now you're saying, oh, well, he can only play... Really, we should just keep him on carry junglers. Okay, well, A... Hard jungler carries cannot always carry games because I don't know, maybe we enter say a meta in which you can take four tanks and an eighty carry and call it a team you know that's that's basically where we are in seven fourteen right, so you're not going to be able to get away with like a hyper aggressive scaling jungler who needs to get a couple kills to get the snowball rolling very often it's just not. You can do it on something like Cho'gath, which they did in game two, and I think that's going to be something they try to lean on much more heading moving forward, but I, I think teams got to realize that. And there's no other tank with nearly the same burst that a Cho'gath has with that feast. So then what? Then what do you do? I t- they have never had an answer for that, and that's the thing that I think has always pissed me off about h2k it's like okay well what do we do if we can't snowball reliably anymore because match two game two of that series is going to tell you like oh but we can snowball games look at how how strong we looked in game two look at how we won with fifteen thousand gold lead by the end of it 26 kills we were decisive it was dominant they didn't have a chance and i would say you're right but you also won the early game super hard you had a couple great kills onto Forbidden that just snowballed that Cinder to oblivion. Nuclear didn't even have to do that much. Just let, you know, Che just kept setting him up for play after play after play, and he was just bringing them all down. Like, congratulations. You did all the things you needed to do to win in the early game. But then you watch game three, and it's like, okay, H2K, you didn't win the early game. In fact, you lost the early game relatively significantly. What's your plan? And they just sit there. I like to imagine they're like scratching their head, like, you know, this is something where they've been asked in a team meeting before, like, what do we do? And they thought about it, and then they had like a kumbaya circle, really got the, you know, incense candles floating, and the answer they came to was, well, we just won't lose in the early game because we're so good. I mean, it won't matter, right, guys? Because we're just so good at the game. I mean, look, we made it to the semifinals at Worlds last year. Like, look, we we know we're really good at the game because we know how to teamfight when we have a lead, and we're really good at that. And that was enough then, and it's going to be enough now. We just need to make sure that we don't lose the early game ever. And there are a lot of reasons why that's wrong. This particular meta does a great job of accentuating all of those points for me. But you are never going to have a perfect early game. It's just never going to happen. Uh, you can perfect it to a very large extent. High KT rollster, uh, you know, teams that can be absolutely frightening in that regard, and certainly H two K can be. But the early game relies on on one or two early moments really going your way, and while you can give yourself the better opportunities for it, it doesn't mean that the crits will always land in your favor. It doesn't mean that the enemy team doesn't have an also brilliant play that could mitigate that damage or even turn it against you. You can only control so much. You can control a lot more in the mid-game because by then you have towers down, you have wards up, you're choosing, you can dictate where the fights happen, you're choosing when to fight or when to disengage. In the end of the game, you have so much less information and because people are locked to lanes, it's just really hard to be as efficient. And you're not efficient enough, H2K, to pull this off. And and you weren't, and now you're tied at 6-3 and three with Unicorns of Love and Splice. And, you know, hidden in all of this, by the way, is is G2, who has played very well the last couple of weeks. They're a team that, as I pointed out in, in the article I wrote for Unicorn, heavily rely on putting trick in a comfortable position. But a comfortable position does not mean that he is hard-carrying the game always. Sometimes it's enough to just give him that little extra help with perks roams on that Talia in game one, just cutting the map down, making it so that it was very hard for H2K to chase when there was a position in which H2K could have theoretically turned on to trick or turned on to expect I thought Expect in general had an amazing series. I thought all three games from him were incredible. Game 3 is the one where he's going to get all the acknowledgement because his plays there were just so over the top, mechanically solid. But I, th- I thought he played just as well in, in Game 1 on, on that Jarvin. I-, I think he's just a really good top laner at this point in his career. And while I could do without Mithy dying on his own multiple times basically every game now, I still can't help but feel like that bot lane's super good because they still have Sven, who's still probably the best European eighty carry possibly in history. He and Reckless are battling back and forth for it right now, but Sven just has the higher peak in my mind because he was the best player on a championship-winning team. He's been the best player on a team that made it to the semifinals at Worlds. Reckless has been on some great teams, but he hasn't been that guy on a truly transcendent team. This is his best shot to do it, for the record. I'm not saying that he can't, but for now, I give the nod to Sven. Sven's really good at League of Legends. At the very least, we can all agree, Sven's really good at League of Legends. He's at least in the top two, and a guy that it's going to be very difficult for teams to stop. So all of this brings me to my final point, point, point five. on this five things, I think, after week seven. This is when we need to learn how to stop worrying and trust in top tier teams. G2 was always going to figure it out. How did we know this? Because G2 has always figured this out. They have three European championships. They got second place at MSI this split. Of course they deserve criticism. I've written two articles this year alone criticizing key moments in how G2 is performed. I've criticized them on the podcast. But if you asked me, do I think that G2 is going to be out in the first round, I said then and I continue to say no. G2's too good. There's too much talent. There's too much veteran experience. It's dumb to worry about them to the same level that we would worry about, say, The Unicorns of Love, who aren't as consistently in the finals, haven't won a championship yet in European history, have some younger players who are more variables than some of the guys that a G2 has. Does that mean that G2 are better than Unicorns of Love? No. Unicorns of Love beat G2, for the record. So this is not a which team is worse. This is... I trust G2 to figure it out. I want Unicorns of Love to figure it out, but I trust G2 to figure it out. And I trust Cloud9 to figure it out. I wasn't surprised at all by their 2-0 this week. I know some people were. I think there were a lot of people who were looking at them at 6-6 six and six and saying, you know, maybe they're just not as good as we thought. Maybe this is just not a Cloud9 split. It's going to be like when they had to bring in Medios to play in the, uh, in, in the support role, or we had to bring High in as a jungler because we need to figure it out we need the shot caller we need to make all this work out and they got 7th and then had to do their Miracle Gauntlet run and then Cloud9 2-0 this week they got a 2-1 over Phoenix 1 2-1 over Dignitas uh, that Dignitas win impresses me a lot more than the Phoenix 1 win does but you know what That that's 2 wins 2 must win wins. Two series that losing any one of them would have bumped them completely out of the running for a r- first round bye, which is not likely, but is still in play at this point. At the very least, it would have cost them any chance at having side advantage. It would have thrown them s- directly into the six-seat spot, where you would have to play a team like CLG or Immortals or TSM. You would imagine in the first round. No one wants to be there. Cloud9 does not want to be in that spot. They want to qualify on points, and this was a great series of wins for them. And you know what? Why are we surprised? They've still got Jensen, who's the best mid laner in the regular season. The Dan Marino of League of Legends, sure, but Dan Marino was great. So I don't consider that as big of an insult as my co-host would. Uh, Walter, I know you're like, okay, fine, have Dan Marino. I'm like, yeah, I will. I will take Dan Marino. I will take Sneaky, a guy who I still think is the fourth best North American AD carry if I had to make my list right now. But when he's good, he's consistently good. He's very good, in fact. And he did more than enough this week. Smoothie looked better this week. Contracts, I love his rest. That was fun. There's some fun stuff with that team when they're playing on all cylinders. And I have faith that they're going to continue to do that. And here... Korean note because we never get to talk about Korea on the pod that's why I'm not worried about SK Telecom either I understand that beating ever is not like oh my god they're clearly back but okay it's SK Telecom they're gonna be fine it's they've got Koma as their coach Faker's still their mid laner last time I checked Bang is still their AD carry Uh, they still have Wolf as their support They're, they're a really good League of Legends team they're going to be just fine. I look forward to seeing them at Worlds again. This is not Season 4. It's just not. Um, until teams really step up and make an argument that they're going to stick around and, and, and be able to outpace this SK Telecom team. Right now, you would need it. Presumably, it would require Samsung, Longju, and KT Rolster all outlasting SK Telecom, and I just don't see that happening. I, I... I am learning to not worry about the little details and trust in the teams that are consistently great. Cloud9, G2, SK Telecom all had problems this season. All of them are great teams. All of them look to be at least partially on track to get back to that status that we know they should be. And that's going to be it for this. I am wrapping this up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. I, I, I think there were a couple of like little roster things I didn't get to touch on here, but I hit everything that I wanted to hit. If you enjoyed it, let me know in the comment section, uh, soundcloud.com slash esportsrefdrafts, on YouTube, if I've somehow managed to get this to YouTube, which is going to be a whole hassle, but I am going to try to get this out there. Um, let us know in the comment section there. Of course, the Discord is always there, and, and we love talking to you guys directly on that so if you please feel free to join it's a great community there and you can find me and talk to me about anything I said today at Red Shirt King we're going to try to get Guess the Lines back up and running on, on our usual schedule as soon as we can as much as we can uh, we might do a little uh, Guess the Lines just pure predictions episode and save some of our more substantive analysis for next week uh, we're not sure yet um, just just couple details that are out of our control uh but we appreciate your uh respect uh while we, we figure this out and i appreciate your patience and i appreciate you for for whoever you are that's right i know that you are secretly super special awesome and i know this is true because you're listening to this episode and that makes you one of my favorite people Because it means that you can listen to me talk to myself for 46 minutes and say, yeah, that was worth it. So thank you guys for, for everything that you are. And until next time, goodbye internet.